This is BoxScore, brought to you by Gaines Radar, and I'm your host, Richard Grisham. The business of sports video games is changing. Over the past decade, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the number of licensed sports games, due in part to the cost of the license, as well as the massive amount of time and money it takes to make these games in the HD era. You combine that with the rapid rise of mobile and social technology, and the landscape is evolving even more quickly than anyone had anticipated even a year or two ago. So to talk about all this, the past, the present, and the future of sports video games, I invited Peter Scarra to the show. He's known as the Armchair Analyst, and he's got a unique perspective on the industry. We talked for quite a while about everything facing the sports video game business, so I split it into two parts. And without further ado, here's part one. Well, all right, we're here with Peter Skerritt, the armchair analyst, writer for Pop Zara and uh, Consolation. Uh, Mr. Skerritt, I'm a big fan of yours. I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks very much for the invite. Appreciate it. So we're here today to talk about the business of sports video games. Um, and you can't really talk about the business of sports video games without talking about really the industry as a whole. Um, but, you know, we are really going to focus a lot more on the sporting side of the games, which I think in a lot of ways is reflective of the, the industry as a whole. But before we get into any of that, um, Peter, why don't you just give us a little bit of background? You're, as I mentioned, you're the armchair analyst. You write uh, for a couple different uh, places and, and have for a while now. Um, how did you uh, how did you become the armchair analyst? What's your what's your background? Uh, well, I uh, actually started out writing reviews like a lot of folks who got into the industry started doing. I uh, did that right around the time of the, the uh, dot-com crash, so my timing was brilliant there. <laughs> uh, but after that, I kind of bounced around from site to site until about 2008 or so, uh, and I started to take interest in some of the, uh, the NPD sales data releases, started to read into them, looked at sales trends. I thought, okay, you know, I made a couple of decent predictions. I'm like, all right, this is pretty interesting, and started to key on that more and more. And then uh, in last year, actually, I started to key on it almost exclusively. Uh, I met Michael Pachter and uh, Jesse Divnitz, who are two analysts, actually. I met them in Los Angeles during E3, and uh, they said they read my work. And at that point, I knew that I should just kind of roll with it. So I've done that since. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned that you started to enjoy the sales analysis side of it in the, in the video games world it's either a love it or hate it thing with sales like you can either find people who are really interested in that or as soon as you bring up sales age you're like oh no 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 i don't want to talk about it that's you know that's not not part of what the the you know that's not really video games and right I'm, I'm with you i love the sort of the sales side of it both the good and the bad um uh, it's it's just funny why do you think it is such a polarizing topic in the business I think a lot of it is because um, numbers can be spun. Uh, for example, if you tell someone that um, – just referring to stocks for just a second. And you can tell someone that their stock dropped 5% or you can tell someone that their stock dropped like $0.08. Cents. Now, hmm. both, of those may be, both of those may be true, such as in the case of THQ, but one can be worse than the other. <laughs> And it's the same thing when you're talking about video game sales and the perceived success of a certain console or a certain uh, or a certain game. You can say, you know, this particular game shipped X amount of units, so it's a huge success. 
Um, whereas shipped doesn't necessarily mean that the item sold. As a matter of fact, in the case of Max Payne 3, for example, a lot of those copies are still sitting on store shelves waiting to be bought. Uh, despite the fact that 3 million were shipped worldwide, it turns out that a pretty significantly less number actually sold last month. So spin is a big part of this, and a lot of people use sales to kind of, along with reviews, to kind of say, I made the right choice, this is why. And if sales go against you, well, it's kind of tough to argue. Hmm. Now, you are uh, a longtime gamer and a, I don't want to call you a retro gamer, but you certainly do celebrate your old catalog. So what, when, when you first started playing and, and through, I guess, your formative years of gaming, what was your, what was your consoles of choices? What did you grow up playing? Oh, wow. Uh, whatever I could find, actually. Um, I spent a lot of time as an arcade rat. When I was uh, in elementary school and junior high school, uh, wherever there was a uh, coin-operated video game, you'd usually find me. Uh, but when I didn't have any money left from allowance, uh, my grandmother had an Atari 2600 that I played. That's the one. That's the gateway drug. That was mine, too. Yeah, and then um, I got a uh, VIC-20 and a Commodore 64 from my other grandmother uh, in the 80s, and I did a lot of my gaming on that, actually. I wound up getting involved in Nintendo pretty late. It was actually Christmas in 1990 before I started to move from the desktop PC kind of thing to, uh, to a more console-driven environment. You know, it's interesting because I also got to the Nintendo late, and by the time I got to <clears throat> the Nintendo, I, I mean, I had played Mario, and I had played some of the, uh, I guess, formative games, uh, but I was always into the sports games. And when I think of Nintendo, unlike... I guess everybody else in the world, I think of RBI baseball and blades of steel and, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and not the Zeldas and, uh, you know, the, uh, um, uh, kid Icaruses and things like that. It's just, um, what was your, you know, if you could identify that one genre that you really would, would play more than anything else back <laughs> when you first started playing, what would that be? Oh, I was, I was a big sports guy too, actually. Um, in my Commodore 64 days, used to play a lot of hardball and fourth and inches, which oh, were sure. two accolade games. Yeah. And my hardball addiction was so bad that I actually had a notebook and I kept score. I figured out pitchers' ERAs and batting averages. And uh, it was probably a little too intense for someone who was in high school. But uh, once I had my hands on a Nintendo, uh, I played a lot of RBI baseball and uh, Tecmo Bowl, Super Tecmo Bowl, Blades oh, yeah. of Steel, oh, yeah. all of the all the classic games, and that just continued on. As a matter of fact, my my library now probably a good half, uh, and that includes PlayStation Two. A lot, about half are all sports related. And you're talking to a guy who I don't know if you ever played Micro League Baseball, but that was talking about an addiction. That was ridiculous. I played seasons. I kept stats of everything in notebooks. And then when they came out with the general manager's disc where it would actually do that for you and produce box scores, it was, it was this revelation because that was in the early to mid eighties. And that was unheard of until that happened. At least it was for me. Oh yeah. I mean, that makes your life a lot easier when you're sitting, you're trying to play and then you're trying to jot down numbers and do the figuring. And of course me, I had this problem with running my own commentary when I was playing. So I had three different things going on at the same time. And, uh, it was tough to keep track of everything. So once game started tracking statistics for me, it became a lot more fun actually. So we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff today, but I want to kind of start with the basics and, and what's, strange 
and maybe it's just because of sort of where we are in the console generation, but I'm not so sure. But it's, it just feels like things are moving really quickly. Um, and it feels like the industry is changing so fast, so much faster than I can ever remember it. Um, and so quickly that even what's happening today would have sounded bizarre 12 months ago and 24 months ago. But let's let's kind of start with the basics, at least what I consider, you know, the the recent history or the current basics, which is what is different about the business model of sports games versus those of other, you know, the, the majority of games, uh, video games? I think the biggest difference, uh, at least up until very recently, was uh, year, yearly releases were huge. Uh, before downloadable content and the ability to update rosters on the fly, the only way that we could get updated rosters without making a bunch of moves or uh, painstakingly adding the players that we wanted in our particular on our particular teams or leagues, uh, we had to buy a new game every year. And that's really been the big business is, okay, what's going to be in this year's baseball game? What's going to be in this year's hockey game, what are the changes going to be? Uh, and that's really what I see is it's become a more yearly thing versus even we were talking about the, the NES and SNES, at least it, initially, it wasn't a yearly thing. It was more which company is going to give you the more different or more authentic baseball, hockey, basketball experience. And that is dictated by the contracts that the developers and publishers sign with the leagues, right? Like, I mean, from what I understand, the reason that the games are annual is because they have to be. That's the terms of the deal. Is that right? That's what I understand as well, is when you're drawing up a contract with that particular league, a licensing deal, uh, there's more money to be made if a full retail release comes out every 12 months as opposed to smaller bite-sized DLC releases, for example, things like that. Um, so the leagues want to have that cons- or the consistent bite of revenue year in and year out rather than just, well, here's a game and then we'll kind of build on it from there. They don't want that base. They want something new every year. It feels like an antiquated business model now, as you mentioned, in the days of where DLC is not just, I mean, it's, it's the norm. I mean, yes, there is, a, there is a significant number of people still who don't have their consoles connected to the Internet, but that number is getting smaller and smaller every year. And I'm just wondering if in the next couple of years, if that will change and if we can get out of the annual crush of the development cycle and perhaps have a framework for a sports game built that can be supported for a couple or two or three years with DLC roster updates while major changes are able to be made as opposed to, yeah, there are big changes made to all the sports games this year, but you know, there's only so much you can do in a nine to 11 month development cycle. So do you think that business model has a chance of changing or do you think just because of the big money involved, we're going to kind of stick with this for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm, if I had to answer right now based on my based on my instincts, I'd say that the model is probably going to continue. We're not seeing uh, a major push for DLC as it is for getting a lot of what, we, what I call front-loaded money, uh, which means that people who run out 
and consistently and buy Madden every year because that's their you know that's their one big sports game every year. Oh, people it's like, Madden time. People like me, for example, because I do yeah. that. Oh yeah, I mean, and I admit it. I'm the same way. You know, whenever there's a whenever a new Tiger Woods release hits, even though I've never played a round of golf really in my life, um, I'm always one of the first people in line because I I have to have it. It doesn't matter what they've added. It doesn't matter what the the roster is. It's just something that I have to try because it's a you know it's a rite of passage for me basically. Right. So, what's your assessment of the overall health of the sports video game business today? Uh, I think it mirrors where the uh, where the console business is, and basically that is a slow degradation. At least until the new consoles come out, we're seeing sales kind of on a on a downward tilt uh and i don't necessarily know whether that's going to change i think that there are consistent performers for example uh take two's nba 2k series tends to perform pretty consistently uh in a given year but other games like uh like take two's mlb 2k series which is in limbo and then the more the money that ea poured in the madden to get the exclusive license i don't necessarily think that that's paid off in spades like people thought it would uh so it's it's nebulous there's not necessarily a trend either up or down uh but if i had to push it one way or the other i'd say that it follows wherever console is going because really Console sports games are really where it's at. They, we can play them on PC, but they're more known in general when we're talking about sports titles being situated on console. And that, of course, dates back to Madden on the Genesis going forward. And is the – do you attribute that to sort of the natural fluctuation of sales and numbers tend to go down at the end of console cycles before spiking and then rising at when new hardware is introduced or yes while that may be a historical trend we're looking at a very different future in the near term and even in in the in the long term i think in generations past it's been pretty reliable that once we get to the end of the console generation when new systems are announced and people are ready to jump that it's it's almost like a rebirth um for the console sector now with uh with handheld devices and tablets being all of a sudden very prevalent and the market exploding which i saw last week at e3 with my own eyes um it's not as sure a bet it certainly is possible that consoles kind of come back and of course console sports games would follow suit but i think that it's not a given, which is why we're seeing 2K games put NBA 2K12 on tablets and why we're seeing EA start to focus more on tablets and smartphones as well. There's got to be a contingency plan so that if consumers don't buy in with the next generation that they still have a home to play their games on because games will still exist even if consoles kind of lag behind. The games, the sports games on tablets, the traditional sports games on tablets are hideous. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm being kind when I say that. And, you know, but there are different kinds of sports games on tablets and smartphones that are fantastic. And, I mean, it's a a silly example, but there's a a free-to-play sport, you know, game called New Star Soccer, which is a delight. And I bought it, uh, you know, I think I, it was either free or 99 cents. And you can play it for hours and hours and hours. It's a little combination of an RPG 
and you know just kind of like flicking the ball around in little spots it's a lot of text-based stuff it's really difficult to explain but it's the kind of experience that is it is light years away from anything resembling fifa right right Mm -hmm. but you play fifa on the smartphone or on the tablet and that's actually probably one of the best kinds of uh, one of the best versions of that but so far anyway and i realize that we're in the infancy sports games don't translate to smartphones and tablets um it, it because of controls because of you know, I guess we're sort of used to, to the graphical power, but different kinds of games do. So I'm, I'm struggling to, while I can certainly see a lot of games being fantastic on smartphones and tablets, I struggle how a, what I view as a traditional sports console type game being any fun on a tablet or a smartphone. The issue with controls, it's actually curious that you bring that up. The issue with controls is actually being worked on. I got to see a couple of uh, mobile controllers that are specified that are specialized for tablets and smartphones introduced at E3 this past week. Right. And they work. They uh, work, but, it, and I don't doubt that they work and I've seen some of those myself, but I'm not going to bring that along with me in my pocket or my book bag so that I can play it when I'm somewhere mm-hmm. else. That, that's, that's mm-hmm. where it fail. It falls short for me, but you know, that's, sure. just, that's just me thinking that. I think it's, it's, going to be a transition process if it happens. And again, I don't see console necessarily going anywhere. Right. Um, what I'm saying is there's going to be a level of coexistence where just in case console doesn't go where publishers want it to go in terms of sales, they want to have that other audience covered. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I think overall, I think that the, the idea is okay. I do think that, as you said, uh, development's still in infancy and they're trying to, instead of create an experience that's specific to a smartphone or a tablet, they're trying to port the exact console experience over, right. which just, it's just not going to work that exactly. way. Exactly. It can't, it can't happen. Right. Um, very different experiences though do work well, but again, they don't, they don't compare with the depth of the gameplay and the visual quality and the sound quality. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's break, let's come back a little bit. I think I got us out in the future. Let's come back to the current day. Sure. Why are licensing costs associated with sports video game companies and the leagues they associate with so secret? I mean, these are public companies, you know, Electronic Arts, Take-Two. Why can't we find out what their deals are? Why is it such a secret? It is unusual to uh, to have that be a, a reality. Uh, I, I can mean, tell if, you. If I was an investor, I would want to know. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that because during Take Two's recent investor call, they talked about issues with the Major League Baseball license, which I know that we'll get to. But they there were no specifics given. They didn't give an exact amount of charge off once the license drops or anything like that. So I think they keep that kind of close to the vest. Maybe it's because the league doesn't want outside sources to know. Uh, but I've always thought it was it, it was weird. I, I really don't have a specific answer to that question. I mean, but when, it's a good question to to have out there. When you look at their balance sheets and and their profit and loss statements, are just those figures aggregated under much larger buckets that you just really can't ascertain, and you would have to get into private documents to find out what that is. I mean, it, I mean, I'm I've looked a little bit at these, and I'm not an expert at P and L statements and things like that. But nowhere have I seen. Oh, yeah, take two. I mean, I've seen people 
say rumor that take two paid thirty thousand dollars and things like that but i mean sorry thirty thousand you know thirty million dollars but i've never seen any concrete numbers no i i haven't either and looking at uh yearly statements financial statements there's nothing specifically that says in take two's case major league baseball license this amount so it's whether it's purposely nebulous or whether it's just something that they feel that is kind of irrelevant to the big picture, uh, especially in something like take, someone like Take Two's case, where more of their structure is more traditional, more traditional games, whereas EA is they have a specific sports division of their own. I think Two K Sports Divisions kind of slowly, uh, slowly shrunk as we've moved uh, from the Dreamcast era and the, and the PS Two and xbox era to now where we went from a whole bunch of different franchises to just a couple to now we're down to literally just one right and um i want to talk about that but before we before we go there you mentioned something that was interesting you weren't entirely sure that uh the money that ea has paid for the exclusive nfl license has necessarily paid off like some people thought it has now i've spent quite a bit of time i've actually spent some time at the tiburon studios i've spoken with the people who make the game and they have spent a significant amount of money this year in particular investing in the game they've tripled the the amount of the team um, and they have made some significant modifications to this year's game that are going to help the game moving forward seems to me they wouldn't be doing that if the game were not profitable but on the other hand, maybe they're doing that because they need the game to be profitable. I mean, what, what's your take on it? Uh, number one, why do you think that EA might not have, have been making as much money or money at all as people think? And number two, what do you think the reason is for this big outlay of cash on Madden NFL 13 this year? I just, in looking at sales numbers for the, for the Madden games, I don't think that they've necessarily stood out as being, oh my goodness, this is a huge success kind of numbers. And, of course, we don't know what the actual value of the licensing deal that was signed. I'm assuming, though, that uh, between the NFL and EA, it was a pretty substantial sum considering how long it was locked up for. Uh, but the, the sales numbers to me, while they've been okay, really haven't reached out and gone. You know, it, it hasn't extended to months and months and months being something that's been a consistent performer, especially in the last year or two, those sales have tended to decline a lot more rapidly uh, until retailers kind of prod it forward with with price drops and so on. Now, as far as why EA is investing a bunch of money all of a sudden, I think it's to try and reverse the curse, to use a sports metaphor. metaphor. It's complaints about recent Madden games, Madden 11, Madden 12, were just loud enough where I think the company finally heard, said, you know, we really need to kind of straighten this out. We think that we can turn this around and make it a big hit, but we have to spend a bit of money to make some money. And like you said, from what I've seen, what I heard about from people who played it at E3, I didn't have a chance to, but the people that I talked to that played it, the people who've seen it, all seem pretty convinced that this is going to be one of the better, if not one of the best football sims that this generation's seen. So yeah, we'll have to see. No, I am convinced absolutely too by virtue of, of playing it and by talking with the guys who have made it. I mean, to to a man, they are talking about just how different it is there as far as the number of people and the number of resources that they're mm-hmm. given. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of the, of the uh, literally on the other side of the country at EA, the FIFA franchise 
is dominating from a sales perspective. And in their most recent uh, calls, I think the number was a, they made $100 million on, on DLC alone. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to assume that FIFA is just killing it sales-wise and dollar-wise and is a massive profit center? Or is it is that maybe sound a little bit... Does it sound great, but they're, they're maybe not quite as uh, rosy underneath the covers with the money they're bringing in on FIFA? I, I think that FIFA is becoming their biggest franchise, to be honest. And the reason for that is because of worldwide expansion. With games becoming more worldwide and with the popularity of of that sport becoming so big, it's just, it's money hand over fist for EA as far as that goes, because it's the only specific licensed game. Konami doesn't necessarily have the licenses with their PES series. So if you have the one licensed game that brings all of these soccer teams and all these players together, then you can leverage that and really push it. And both on a retail side and looking in the sales side, the, the performance has just been spectacular. So I think that that's – and I think it was telling, too, that when we looked at the uh, the E3 press conference that EA put on, that FIFA was first mm-hmm. uh, and that Madden came after. Uh, yeah. To me, I, I mean, it might be chronological, but to me, that put out a message that FIFA is the license that they're – you know, that's the horse they're riding. That's the one that's making them the most money. That's where the momentum is, and that's what they want to push. Now, where does NHL fall into that? I mean, I know it's a – a relatively speaking, a, uh, a a niche game is not the right term. It's a big time game. Is for what's your take on that? Is it a profit center for EA as well? And because it seems like again, that's another game where there's been a pretty significant investment this year. There's fit, a new physics engine there, just like there was in FIFA last year and Madden this year. It seems like uh, again, they're really making some some significant investments in that game. Where's NHL stand for you uh, these I- days? I think NHL is doing fine. I think it's a it's a reflection of how the the league has turned things around after the after the lockout, where we pretty much left them for dead. Um, I mean, the games have been fantastic. Uh, as as someone who buys those year in and year out, I I can attest to that. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. But uh, you know, we've seen things like uh, like Hockey Ultimate Team and other downloadable content that's that's done okay i do think that it's just a it's not the same size demographic as fifa is fifa is not only worldwide but it's just it's everybody no matter where you look someone's got a soccer ball or someone's playing soccer whereas with hockey not you know there aren't ice rinks everywhere right. it's very seasonal and i think the the core fan the core demographic is just going to be smaller just as it is mm-hmm. so i think it, they can still appeal to that demographic but it's just it's never going to be the sales performer that a madden or a fifa is going to be because the sport just isn't as big as the other two so before we get to the to the i, I want to bring it around back to madden real quick do you think ea and madden extend their exclusivity deal or do you think somebody else steps up do you think exclusive exclusivity um, goes away and it's open up to other people, or do you think uh, EA and NFL are going to keep uh, re- do up, you know, re up the exclusivity between the two companies? I think that the NFL seems pretty satisfied with their working agreement with EA. I think the two of them have done well in cross marketing and getting the game out there and promoting it. Uh, I think that the NFL is comfortable working with EA, and I think that the Supplying of assets between the two between the two entities has been strong, so I really don't see any reason why 
EA and the, and the uh, NFL don't come to a specific agreement to keep that going. And even if they didn't, I don't necessarily see a lot of publishers that are going to jump at the opportunity to uh, to pay to make another football game. Take-Two certainly isn't in a financial position to all of a sudden say, hey, you know what, we're going to bring back our 2K football series because it's it's not going to happen. They've been losing franchises and licenses and trying to shed them. So for them to bring another license on this that may or may not work in competing with EA is just – it's it's risky. It's tough to say. You know, the number of sports games, you mentioned this, has shrunk considerably in this generation. And I imagine that several publishers, including you know 2K Sports with the NHL, NHL 2K is gone, MLB 2K is about to be gone. Mm-hmm. EA Sports with the NBA Elite debacle. They've had strained relationships with the leagues because of that. Um, what do you think the leagues think about how different things are versus how they were, how different things are today versus how they were 10 years ago? Uh, it's re- That's a good question. I'm really not too sure. The thing that I, I tend to look at as far as what the leagues think is it boils down to how well the games are selling. If the games aren't moving specific amounts so that they can make their royalties or kind of make their own financial projections, it tends to be a problem. Something like with e, with uh, NBA Elite uh, is you know is unfortunate. It certainly uh, set EA back. The uh, the NBA was a little bit embarrassed. Thankfully, uh, NBA 2K11 really came through in spades that year. Man, okay, uh, but you know, I mean, these you know, development stumbles happen and to be honest after playing and i remember playing the nba elite demo and i thought they, they can't release this they did they absolutely can't there's no way because no one's going to be interested it's not it it doesn't give the 2k series any kind of real competition it felt wrong in a lot of different aspects i know live and nba live and 2k had difficulty competing but live was more felt almost more arcade style to me than than 2K did, which was a little bit more sim-aspected. And Elite just was completely different altogether. So what is, what's going to happen with this new reintroduction to Live? You know, it remains to be seen. People that I talked to that saw the game at E3 were just, they weren't impressed with it at all. So I'm a little nervous going forward. Do, do the leagues, the, the professional leagues, care a whole lot? about video games. I mean, they have a lot going on when you're running the NFL or major league baseball, you have a lot going on. I mean, is your, do you feel that the perception of, of the people responsible for the relationships are, where are they on the priority ladder? Um, does it really matter? Or are they just like, okay, we signed our contract, we're getting our money and I'm going to move on to the other 49 things I got to think about today. I think the quality has something to do with it because it's how the league is portrayed in a video game fashion. If a game is an embarrassment to that particular league, it tends to reflect badly on that league. Um, I mean, we can look at things like um, before Midway went under, if you look at something like the NBA Baller series and how uh, they had to get into an agreement with EA where they went back and forth between Ballers and Street every year because they just... They, they weren't sure that the arcade style was necessarily the way to go. Right. Uh, I think so. I think the issue of perception is out there, but I think at the end of the day, even if the game is average in quality, 
if the sales numbers are within projection or close to projections where they want to be and the money's coming in, I think that quality is maybe priority 1A and that revenue is 1 if I had to put the, if I had to put them in that order. You know, it would seem to me that alarm bells would be ringing at the leagues when you look at the NFL where there used to be three, four, five NFL games on the Genesis or on the NES or three or four basketball games, three or four, uh, you know, football games on the Xbox, multiple baseball games, arcade simulation. And now you're down to a handful. Mm -hmm. Um, It would seem to me that the equation needs to be adjusted and that the leagues are staring at uh, a significant drop-off in the revenue from the video games unless they change the way that they license and they, they, they price their licenses. But I don't get the feeling that those alarm bells are going off. No, I, I don't either. Uh, and the, the other issue staring sports in the face is that there's just there aren't a lot of publishers and developers that are willing to run right out and go, hey, you know, I'm interested in this license, let's go. It seems to be the same players consistently. Uh, if you look at something like the UFC license that just went from THQ to EA, right. you know, why wouldn't another publisher like Activision or Ubisoft jump in and say, hey, you know, there's a potential profit there, let's go. Why is EA, who just happens to be familiar with sports and have their own sports division, going after it? And that's the answer is because they're sports experienced. They have teams that are already ready to go and can work with that rather than somebody like Ubisoft that all of a sudden we have to go, okay, how does sports work? What do we need? What developers do we need? Right. It's just it's, – it's not their forte. It's not their right. bread and butter. Whereas in the NES days, you had – baseball simulator from culture brain and you had namco or tengen doing rbi and right. you had and there were a bunch of different companies doing sports games because they were lighter fare they were relatively easy development budgets obviously were a far cry from what they are now right right and you could just kind of have fun with it now what do players want do players want the more simulated aspect where they you know they they want that ballpark experience. They want to be able to be in the manager's or the coach's head, or do they just want to be able to pick up and play and go, Hey, you know, let's just hit the football field five on five and see what happens. And sales seem to indicate that simulation is pretty much where it's at. I don't think that NFL blitz did, (coughs) excuse me, did huge numbers for, uh, for EA in the digital space and NBA jam. When they released that on, on disc certainly didn't, blow up anybody's world when that came out and it wasn't until the on a fire edition came out that people really seemed to give a damn about it so i mean arcade sports games as much as i love them and i grew up playing them i just don't i don't feel that there's enough of a market to warrant the risk in continuing to create franchises or licenses that would support those kinds of games but at a price point that they were which is i believe 10 or 15 dollars and being Mm -hmm. released digitally isn't that okay Oh, it, I think it's okay. It certainly mitigates overhead if you don't have to put stuff on disk and you don't have to charge for shipping and all of the other logistical stuff. Um, but again, there's a certain amount of development budget that goes into getting these games made. Development budgets are just out-of-control animals that we really can't put a lid on. 
as far as manpower, as far as technology, as far as money that has to be paid to the uh, to the console providers, Nintendo and I'm sorry, uh, Microsoft and Sony for Xbox Live Arcade and for the PlayStation Network. So all of these new features tend to solve some problems but create others. And it just unless it's going to be a bona fide, yeah, let's we're going to make money on this. It's it's something that's a risk and has to be investigated as such rather than just let's go ahead and make this because I think it's going to sell. It's like, is this really going to sell? Are we going to be able to have a return on investment on this? What are investors and shareholders going to think if we put money in this? And these are all questions that have to be answered before things are greenlit. If I'm running EA Sports, how do I look at this? Do I look at from a, like let's talk about the arcade games, the digital games for a second. Mm-hmm. Am I looking at Blitz and am I looking at... Um, you know, NBA Jam and and like together combined, like if I say, okay, I'm going to sign off on four or five of these over a couple of years, and if one of them hits, then it's worthwhile for those four or five. Do I look at it that way, or do I look at each one of these as an individual, you know, profit or loss center? Like, how do they, how does that, how do you think that that's viewed as to whether it's worthwhile to continue to pursue the 10 or $15 arcade games? Because I would imagine, right? If you spend, relatively speaking, the same amount of money on four or five of these arcade games, release them digitally at 15 bucks, and one of them does great, that more than justifies the expense you've had on the entire suite, and it keeps your brand name out there and that other type of, of game. Sure. I, I think it really depends on the variable that we talked about earlier, the, it being the license agreements. You know, What are you able to do under that particular license agreement that you have? How many games are you able to bring out under that license before... Uh, before certain stipulations kick in where you may have to pay a little bit of extra money. Uh, you know, in the case of NFL, for example, under EA, I mean, we've seen, uh, I think Madden NFL Arcade came out a couple of years ago. Yep. And then and then we just recently had NFL Blitz uh, earlier this year. Which, so, by the way, was I liked it a lot. I had a lot of fun playing it and still do go back and play it every once in a while. It was a darn good game. Which one, the the Blitz or the Madden Arcade? The new Blitz, the one that came out in January. See, right see, you're going to make me spend money, aren't you? See, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. That, that's that, that's fine, though. Um, in all seriousness, I, I I have to look at it from an investment perspective as being one project at a time. It's okay. almost like taking four darts in your hand and throwing them in a dartboard and seeing whether one of them sticks. I would rather have four darts but throw one at a time and try and be as precise with that dart as I possibly can. Um, the NFL has the biggest, you know, the NFL and FIFA have the two biggest markets as far as fan base and potential consumership that we have. So we, I think we just saw a FIFA street again, not long ago. Um, we did. And it, yeah. And it was actually, again, I thought a very good game. The, the overall critical reception was mediocre Mm-hmm. That's the kind of game where I play both FIFA and FIFA Street, and FIFA Street was much more accessible to me, and I have a couple of friends who live next door, big soccer fans, mm-hmm. and we have had just more fun as three or four of us sitting around playing, playing FIFA Street than FIFA, but I think I'm in the minority on that. The vast majority of people I talk to don't even regard FIFA Street, um, or if they do, it's it's something that they kind of, oh yeah, it's okay, but FIFA is where it's at. And it's funny because we, you know, we, we talked about where are we going? Are we going more simulation or are we going more light or arcade style where it's more accessible to more people? And I think that, you know, that's very representative. 
one of the problems that I think, for example, with, uh, and not to diverge too much, but with MLB, the show on, on PS3, for somebody like me who's more of an arcade player, is hitting is is hair-pullingly frustrating. And I, I have been talking about this for years. It is a beautiful game. It plays amazing, and I cannot hit the ball. I, I just I, – I, I can't. I don't mind it being more realistic, and yes, I understand that you're not going to go three for four every night in any league. But you got to have one of those games where you break out and you go, all right, I feel like I'm doing something no matter how long you've played. And even if you play through a full season, there are times you just – you feel handcuffed. You know, like this is – it's real, but it's a little too real. If I wanted to do that, then I'd be going to spring training and trying to break in. No, I'm with you. I, it's been long time my complaint. You can read my reviews. I've done mm-hmm. up until this year. I've done probably five or six reviews in a row of the show on various uh, Sony hardware, and it is always my complaint. I, I can't hit. It's just it's too hard. Um, and in fact, it got to the point where this year and right now I'm playing. I'm actually playing both. A career mode, uh, a road to the show in MLB The Show, and I'm playing MLB 2K uh, 12's My Player, both mm-hmm. as starting pitchers, because okay. the the my favorite way to play that game is as a starting pitcher. Because since I can't hit, I still want to play the game. So if I if I go through a career mode as a starting pitcher, sort of playing to the strengths of the game. But um, speaking of baseball. Uh, yeah. What do you think happens with the MLB and video games moving forward now that we are out of the MLB 2K debacle? I mean, I know the show is going to continue to exist for a long time, but what's going to happen with the 360 and with the Wii and the Wii U and, and all that? Where's that going? I think that the I think that Major League Baseball is going to have to take a very hard look at what it's going to do as far as licensing, because I don't necessarily know that there are a lot of people that are going to be willing to pay for a baseball license right now. Sony seems to have the market pretty much locked up on its own console. Its games have been great hitting complaints aside. Right. It's an absolutely been an absolutely brilliant game with great presentation and everything. And I I love, but if you look on the other end of the spectrum, especially after MLB 2K 10, which I actually did enjoy it, 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 never could keep momentum sales were up and down and it looks it's looking like more of a risk so who wants to jump in who wants to pay money for a particular sport that just hasn't been able to sell consistently would microsoft want to do it would they want to uh would they want to try and get a baseball engine from somewhere ea certainly doesn't seem all that interested right now right they've already said that they're not going to that they aren't pursuing the MLB license for next year. So very surprised that they came out and said that they weren't. I was I, very surprised when I heard that. Doesn't surprise me at all. Honestly, I wasn't, I'm not surprised that they aren't doing it for next year. I'm just surprised that they would say it. That's all. Uh, the only, the only reason that I wasn't surprised was just because as we've talked about, we're really in the, the lame duck portion of this console generation right. to pour all kinds of money in, into development, even if they took the the MVP baseball engine and tried to up-res it for next year, uh, it just it, that's still money that they don't necessarily need to spend. They can't say for sure that people are going to run right out on the 360 and buy another baseball game from one, for one more year. It's best to just 
put that money in your war chest. When the next generation consoles come out, then revisit it, go back and talk to Major League Baseball, find out how much they're willing to put a deal together for, see if they're going to want to do an exclusive deal or, which I think would be better for them, to just go back to multiple publishers and then kind of run with it then. Right now, the, the 360, although it's still selling pretty well, is at the end of its cycle. And any kind of development on a, on a sports game like that that doesn't have an engine and everything already in place just doesn't seem to make a lot of fiscal sense. You know, I agree, but then on the other hand, I'm thinking there's how many of these 360s sitting around people's uh, houses? I mean, there there's a huge install base. I think it comes down more to the fact that and I hate to say this out loud, but people just don't play a whole lot of baseball on video games anymore, right? Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I've played some baseball this generation. I played a little bit more baseball generation last generation. But I, the more, or the most baseball I played was back before it became so convoluted and complex. Yeah. And when it was just so easy to be able to pick up and play, whether there were major league baseball players or not. And... For a lot of people, because baseball is so long and a game can run hours, yes, uh, there's no way to really speed it up. I mean, you even look at arcade baseball like Midway Slugfest series, which really didn't do much for anybody. They tried to speed it up, and it just it it didn't sell. It had the license, it had the arcade style play, it had the the pedigree for Mark Turmel, and it just it it never went anywhere. It kind of sat on store shelves. My favorite baseball game of the last decade is the Bigs. And I don't know if you ever played it, but they had yes. the right they had the right mix because it was fun. You could hit, you could pitch. There was some strategy that wasn't in any other baseball game with like when to use the little power ups. And the games were twenty or thirty minutes at the most. They yep. had the right mix, and even that game didn't sell. At least the second game, the Bigs too, because they never made a Bigs three. Which just again, it's like it baffles me. Because it was so good and, and they had the right mix and, and it just never went anywhere after that second game. I agree with you. The Bigs is really what Slugfest should have been. Uh, and you know, I, I enjoyed both games. But as you said, there just there wasn't a market. People, wherever for whatever reason, unless you're a diehard baseball fan and you absolutely have to play because you want to put yourself in the game, there just doesn't seem to be the same kind of appeal. There hasn't been that that Madden game where people want to buy a baseball game every year. It's like, all right, this game looks pretty good. I'll buy this. And they let it sit for a couple of years and they'll use that. And then maybe they'll buy another game in three years. If something major hits the market or something really big hits their eye. So it's a very, baseball is a very unusual sport in video games in that it's just, it hasn't been able to keep up even with NHL, to be honest. I think that the NHL games on a consistent basis, not necessarily, overall sales numbers but consistent sales basis from month to month sales performance has been a bit more even so and that that, that's pretty telling now whether that's because baseball in general is just kind of whether the popularity of baseball is just kind of ho-hum or whether there's something else going on i really haven't been able to put my finger on it so you have to make the call right now i'm forcing you oh boy Um, i think we both agree there's no baseball on the 360 next year but when the Xbox 720 or whatever the next Xbox is that hits. Mm -hmm. Will there be a baseball game and who's making it? If I had to answer right now, I would say that... You do have to answer right now. Okay, (laughs) okay. 
then yeah, there will be a baseball game. And I do think, although EA's posturing and saying that they're not pursuing the MLB license, they will pursue it for whatever the new Xbox and Sony systems will be. So does, and one of the things that you see people say it all the time and what they don't understand is they're, they're clamoring for things that are, that, that literally don't exist anymore. The MVP engine is from the last generation. Mm-hmm. Does Microsoft own the high heat uh, name? I thought that, and I believe doing some research that there was another company that Microsoft sold it to. So I don't believe that Microsoft is in possession of the high heat license anymore, which is too bad because the high heat engine was probably one of my at least underrated, if not my favorite baseball engines from the last generation. So you're 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 saying that uh, you know if you had to pick, which I forced you to pick, you're saying EA is going to have a baseball game on the next 360 uh, at or near or around the right time, whether it's at launch or the first spring after the launch of that. It would be the first spring after the launch. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, and again, I'm guessing here, but my guess for the new Sony and Microsoft systems would be somewhere between uh, September and November of uh, next year. Okay. So given that, we wouldn't see a baseball game probably until spring training. So you're looking at maybe first week of March of gotcha. 2014. Okay. Excellent. So that's where we'll stop with part one. Be sure to listen to part two where we'll get into a whole lot more about where the industry is and where it's going. Thanks for listening to this episode of Box Score, brought to you by Games Radar. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and give it a rating too while you're there. I'm your host, Richard Grisham. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rich Grisham. Tweet me any thoughts, comments, or questions about this or future shows. And also follow Games Radar at their handle, Games Radar. Be sure to read my weekly box score column each and every Thursday on the site. Every click counts. So until next time, this is Richard Grisham for Box Score.